Shalom, and thank you for listening to Beit Zayit Messages. If you enjoy this teaching, consider joining us Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. at 465 Lee Highway in Verona, Virginia, for our morning Shabbat services. Or watch the service live stream on YouTube, Facebook, or on our website at BeitZayit.org slash live. May the Father bless you richly through the hearing of His Word. It's good to see you guys. So this is a double portion, and I've said this to a few folks. If you uh, um, don't know, this is actually my favorite uh, portion. Kiddushim is my favorite portion in the entire Torah of all the 54 uh, parshas, uh, portions. Uh, this is my, by far my uh, connected to me the most personally. But this is a double portion, Akre Mot, which is also an amazing portion as well. But before we dive in, we'll go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. I thank you so much for this opportunity to speak uh, on your holy word, Father. I ask that it be blessing to your people this day, uh, and that you be honored and lifted up because of, of your words, Father. In all these things I pray to you in Yeshua's name. Amen. So Akre Mot means after the death of, so that's referring to, the very first portion of that is referring to, just briefly on Akre Mot, I'm going to focus on Kiddushim a little bit more. But Akremot is the specific laws and instructions. That's the, um, the double portion. So Akare, so we start from right, the right side. So Akare, so that's referring after. So in the, um, so after the death, mot, death. So after the death, and then that uh, little dash there, of course, is really just the connection of Kiddushim. That means holy ones. So literally it means holy ones, holy people. It's referring to holy people. So the concept of being a good neighbor is what I'd like to focus on. Is a hard task for humankind to fully embrace. Even for those in the body. This can be a challenge for all of us. Many seek to first honor themselves in the secular world particularly and make as much money as possible before they die. A lot of us can think that way too. We think about a good career. We think about a good path, which are good things. We should learn. We should study. We should show ourselves approved in God's Word and also in our lives, our physical lives, too. And this portion actually deals with a lot of things in the physical. Akremot, of course, is talking about things that a lot of things that the priests would do. It talks about the Yom Kippur service. It talks about the sacrifices that would be given. But Kiddushim, a lot of the commandments are for everyone. Uh, sexual immorality is, is highly uh, spoken about in this portion. There are quite a few uh, commandments um, that uh, I don't have for you today in this, but I encourage you to strongly read this section of Kiddushim in Leviticus. Um, so particularly Leviticus chapter 19, particularly. So, of course, we know that Akremot first deals with Aaron's two sons after their deaths. Remember, they offered up strange fire. So something that was not particularly um, instructed by the Torah. So it seems like a very harsh punishment that Aaron, the high priest of Israel at that time, his sons were killed, both of his sons. So those were his heirs. They would have followed in his footsteps as the high priest after Aaron's death. So why does it seem so, um, so severe, like not just a scolding or a punishment, but death? Well, they, all, it's just like when the, the individual who reached out to stabilize the ark of course, uh, I know Lois talked a little bit about, uh, about that too, about the cart instead of the poles of how it was transported. But when God says do not do something or do something in a very specific manner, 
We even see that today in God's word. If we go outside of his word and we try to do things ourselves, even with good intentions like his sons did, that's not acceptable. Thankfully, we're not struck down instantly dead. That God does have mercy and grace on us when we mess up, even unintentionally. But Akre Mot is also, that is where the portion will, does start. But Kiddushim is holy ones, referring to holy people of God. We actually say it every Shabbat, Leviticus 19, 18, love your neighbor as yourself. So that is part of this portion. So, with the uh, continuing, unfortunately in our society today, we have sin-like behavior because of the fall, obviously, from the garden. Of course, we have the yetzer hara, the evil inclination uh, that we all have and that we all deal with. And we pray to God. And this is a daily thing that we should all be doing is praying and seeking God, continuing to be in a, a, a sanctification, if you will, every day coming before God in prayer. So that our yetzer hara, or bad inclination, evil inclination, does not take precedent, but God's will takes precedent over our lives. What we say, what we do, what we involve ourselves in, things of that nature. Call us to be holy ones, kedushim. However, we see also both in, in these Torah portions, holiness is the chiefest concern being addressed in both of these portions. So we see a big focus in Akremot on the priesthood, uh, particularly, of holiness, what they're supposed to do, how to conduct themselves um, during the service of what they would do. But also, we see in Kiddushim how we are conduct ourselves. You know, uh, a lot of secular culture today is, uh, you, you see it in our society, it's hard to talk about without offending people, but you have to talk about it. About like, well, like homosexual relations. It, this, this actually talks about that. Um, and Paul actually draws from this portion too when he's talking uh, in the New Covenant. And that's a hard subject to broach with love to people, but it's the Torah. It's the Word of God. Also, you don't have relations with your mother, your, your mother's uh, son, your father's son, uh, father's daughter, etc. It, it continues to go down a list of what you are to do and what you're not to do. Um, a lot of these make sense to us as believers. You're like, well, it's kind of redundant. A lot of these things make sense. But remember, we live in a society that was founded on Judeo-Christian principles, uh, largely. So a lot of these precepts, kind of makes sense to us. They seem a little bit redundant to us, especially as believers. You're like, well, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I don't see where that's strange, but to a lot in society that don't know the Lord, it's very strange to them. But with love and with patience with people, this is something that we can approach people with love and tenderness to show them. This is what God says. This is why. So we can perpetuate the generations. So God can separate us from the world and everyone can be a part of that promise if they put their trust in Yeshua. As we approach Hashem together in love and sincerity and with holiness, when we approach Him together, we, inter we interact with each other in a holy manner, but also with Hashem. So that's why these rules were given in this portion. How, so we can have holiness amongst ourselves, our families, our interpersonal families, and also our community. The Torah gives specific commandments, also jumping ahead here, talking about being good neighbors, about farmers. So we have a lot of farmers in our area, Baruch Hashem. That's awesome. Um, a lot of my ancestors were farmers on, on dad's side of the family. You know, um, a lot of our ancestors were farmers. But in Israel, particularly, much of the Torah is focused on an agrarian sense. So everything was focused around, even the counting of the Omer, of course, is relevant to, to agriculture. But this 
Torah gives specific commandments in Kiddushim, the Torah portion, for farmers practicing agriculture in the land of Israel. God tells the farmer not to harvest the grain from the corners of his field. So any farmer. He tells the harvesters not to go over the crop a second time to capture uh, produce that might have been missed the first time. He tells the husbandman not to gather the fruit that falls from the vineyards or the orchards on its own accord. So just naturally an apple will fall off the tree just naturally or the wind, etc. But eventually they, they fall down. So instead, they are to leave all the secondary produce for the poor, the needy and the stranger to collect. So right there, that commandment is telling us a little bit about God, a little bit about Hashem. It's telling us that he cares about the poor. He cares about those that do not have he also instructs us that are farmers to, to leave those corners for the poor so that they can have that and eat from that, no matter who they are. They can be strangers, or as we saw, and also they can be natives. So this is a reminder to me, actually, in this portion, too, of what our Master Yeshua spoke about, about storing up our treasures. So a lot of people in our society, uh, a lot of people in, in, in youth will say, I don't like capitalism. Capitalism's bad, you know. But mistakenly with the idea of corporatism. That's what this portion is talking against as well. A corporatism is when the, uh, a company has supreme control over something, uh, whether you had the opposite in, in government control. But moreover, this point is talking about not squeezing every single ounce of efficiency, like taking all the grain you would normally think in a, in a, in a selfish way, in a business sense, it makes sense to go over the field a second time, make sure everything is plowed, everything is harvested to where you have the maximum yield you got from your land that you own. It makes sense logically from a business aspect. But then there's nothing left for anyone else. So God made a concession for that in the Torah. So you see the love of God in this. But also he's showing us we need to be also gracious to those that have less than us. But our Master Yeshua talks about this too in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither rust nor, um, or moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So also it's kind of revealing to us too, in our character, uh, if we're stingy with what we have, um, and a lot of us don't have a lot to give, but we, there's always kindness to give. There's always something spiritual that you can help someone with. You can pray with people. You can all, always do something. You can never say, well, I don't have enough money. You might not. But what has God given you that you can share? What is something that you can do to be a good neighbor to your, to your neighbors and those in your community? Those are things to think about during this portion too. The businessman who conducts his operation in keeping uh, with the biblical principles, is not concerned only about his own personal success. So that's what we see from the Torah portion. He's concerned about the success of others as well. It is not easy to leave the corner of your field unharvested. So in the natural, you're like, well, that's a lot of money right there, that's a, or it's a lot of resources, and maybe the poor people won't come and get it. Maybe it'll just all rot, and it was all wasted. You know, Maybe there were no poor people that, that, that harvested, so why do I have to leave corners in my field? Uh, perhaps maybe I'll just leave one single stock on each corner. Maybe that'll be good enough. You know, we'll talk about that a little later, uh, what the uh, Talmud actually talks about that. But it is not easy to leave that corner unharvested, especially when you might have trouble making ends meet yourself as a farmer. You might not have enough money. You may like, well, we don't want to waste anything. But again, the principle remains. How did the farmer find to resolve this uh, 
to follow this instruction. It had he only to remember that the land did not really belong to him. So the land of Israel was given to all the people of Israel by God. So that's another reason why this commandment was given. A holy God gave a holy people this land. And because of that, this land had requirements that were unlike any other land as well. Now this principle can be applied anywhere, but this land was holy by a holy God who gave it to a holy people. He was calling out from the nations to be holy. So he was only a uh, sharecropper, let's say, so to speak, uh, working in the soil on God's good earth. So had he, had, uh, so he had only to remember that the land did not really belong to him, so the farmer in Israel. It, he was only a sharecropper, so to speak, working the soil on God's land. These laws provide the background for the story of Ruth. Now, this was new to me. I actually didn't catch this last time. But the great-grandmother, the great-grandmother, sorry, great-grandmother of King David, Ruth was a destitute widow living alone with her widowed mother-in-law, Naomi. So when the wheat was ready for the harvest around Bethlehem, Ruth went out with other poor women of the community to glean, so that means bit by bit, bit by bit to take, uh, what was left behind in the fields. So gleaning is still permitted, actually, by law in modern Israel. So even in this, uh, which is, I mean, a lot of people don't realize the Knesset is technically secular, but you still see some things like this that are based on the Torah, even in the modern state of Israel. Poor people are helped because of it, and they are permitted to pick as much fruit off the trees or from the ground as needed when they walk through the field or an orchard in Israel. Going to Ruth now, in chapter 2, 1 through 3, this is the reference for that. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from Elimelech's family, a prominent man of substance whose name was Boaz. Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go out uh, to the field and glean grain behind anyone in whose eyes I may find favor. So Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So Ruth went out and gleaned in the field behind the reapers. So the reapers already went through. Remember, they weren't supposed to go through a second time. So she's going behind the reapers and taking the, what was left. She just so happened to be in the field of Boaz, who was from Elimelech's family. So these laws uh, are, have application outside of agriculture, too. This teaches us something. We all have fields that we work in. The idea is that we leave a generous margin for the needs of others. The sages point out in the Torah does not mandate how large the corners of the field have to be. The Torah doesn't indicate that either, specifically. A generous man might leave large corners standing in the, in, um, in the field for gleaners, that, uh, while a stingy man might decide only to have one stock. So it's like, well, I'm going to fulfill that mitzvah so no one can say I didn't, God say I can't, so I'm just going to have one little stock there. There you go. You can have one of your corn there. That's all you get. But see the contrast. In both cases, the man's fields made a statement about his heart. So your actions spoke in this case. So this, this law that is in the Torah, you can see it lived out by what was left over. What does a holy person look like? So a lot of people think that all, all church people are all proper and we have it all figured out, you know, or people that go to a synagogue or congregation like our own here, or a church, like, we have to look a certain way. What does holiness look like? Is it a priest? Is it a nun? Is it a preacher? 
perhaps a Hasidic Jew with a full beard and side locks and a black hat? What does holiness look like? Well, Leviticus 19 through 20 contains the Bible's description of what holiness looks like. So I highly recommend to you to read Leviticus 19 and 20, as I mentioned earlier about 19. So this passage begins with the words, and I have that on the screen, Leviticus 19.2. Speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel and tell them, you shall be kedoshim, holy ones, or holy. For I, Adonai, your God, am holy. One of the laws of holiness also states, and that's the 11th verse, you are not to steal, you are not to lie, and you are not to deceive one another. So these are pretty basic rules, but they're very important because a lot of nations of the world, this is how you lived. You lied to get around. You, get, you lied to get ahead. You put unders underneath of you to get ahead in life. But God is calling Israel not to be that way, just like we're not to be that way either. Kedoshim shall be, for I am Kedosh. I am set apart. I am holy. So 1 Peter chapter 1 actually talks about this very thing, verses 13 through 16. So uh, brace your minds. We'll read for action. Keep your balance and set your hope completely on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Yeshua the Messiah. Like obedient children, do not be shaped by the cravings you had formerly in your ignorance. Instead, just like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in everything you do. For it is written, Kedoshim you shall be, so holy ones you will be, for I am holy. I am Kadosh. I am holy, set apart. Have you ever been ripped off by a religious person? I think we can all probably say probably or yes, most definitely. It is not surprising when we were cheated by people in the world. So again, you don't have to look a certain way to fit a certain bill. Your actions and your words speak volumes, particularly what you do in your life to be holy or not. But it is disconcerting when a professing believer in Yeshua or an observant Jew deceives us financially. We expect more from a religious person than a secular person. We assume that the religious person will conduct his affairs in concert with his moral values. That makes the religious person different from the secular person. That being holy, uh, being holy is, that's what being holy is all about, being called out from the world, being set apart, being a peculiar people from the rest of the world. The Torah says that when a religious person conducts himself without integrity, he profanes the name of God. The word profane is the opposite word of holy. Holy means set apart. Profane means common or ordinary. When a religious person conducts himself no differently than the common, the ordinary people around him, he makes God look common and ordinary too. He damages God's reputation. An unbeliever who steals, deceives, lies, and perjures and swindles is unremarkable. But when a believer acts that way, his, he disgraces the faith and gives opportunity for unbelievers to say, you see, he's just like us. You're no different. I, know that there was no, um, I knew that there was no substance to his God or his religion, end quote. But the sages understood the commandment of Leviticus 19.13, which says, you are not to oppose, oppress your neighbor nor rob him. The wages of a hired servant shall not remain with you all night until morning. So, you're, so if you're an employer and you're paying someone to do work, you pay them. You don't wait until later. You, you pay them at that time. You know, don't wait until the next moment. Of course, because people, 
when they were in your field, they were on your property. It's not like they drove in their car and they'll, they'll get a check in the mail or something, you know. So that's another reason why that was structured that way, it's because they were there in your field. So this also talks about a Hebrew word. Falsely labeling something is considered stealing a person's mind in, in Judaism. It's called genevat da'at. So da'at means knowledge or knowing. Genevat is stealing. So literally put together, that means stealing a person's mind. According to the Babylonian Talmud in Holin 94a, it says, our sages have taught that no one, should, uh, no one should sell a sandal made from leather of an animal that died of a disease as if it were made from leather of an animal that was slaughtered, that was healthy, for example, because he is misleading the customer. So integrity, have integrity. As disciples of Yeshua, in conclusion, Yeshua being obedient to God's Torah, we need to strive for scrupulous honesty, especially in matters of business and how we conduct ourselves in community with others that are in the body and also those outside of the body. This also teaches me a lot too because I need to watch what I say. I can say a lot of things sometimes and then in hindsight I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry about that. But every time I, I minister to, I'm ministering to myself. So this is also why I love this portion too. It's a reminder to be holy, to be called out from the world. And with that, thank you very much. And Shabbat Shalom. Again, thanks for joining us for the Beit Zayit Messages Podcast. This podcast is an extension of Beit Zayit Messianic Congregation, a group of Jews and Gentiles, one in Messiah, currently meeting in Verona, Virginia. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and leave a review, along with a five-star rating, or give us a thumbs up, wherever you're listening from. Interested in learning more about the Creator and His Word from a Messianic Jewish perspective? Check out our website at BeitSaid.org for helpful resources and more information. Until next time, Shalom.